If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. Acheron, the Demon King, by Andrea Stewart. Like many young women, Mary Shepard yearns to believe in a mystical world filled with gods and goddesses that make wishes come true. Unlike most, she was left on the church steps by her mother, raised by nuns, and haunted as a child by creatures no one else could see. When a Cambridge archaeologist works miracles and then invites her to join his coven, she can't help but agree. But what will learning his secrets cost her? You will love this dark romance, if you enjoy gothic novels, featuring magic, demons, cults, covens, and tarot. Chapter 1 There we were, talking about salmonella and potato salad. Next thing you know we're discussing Beltane and whether celebrating on the official date is important, Mary said. Trying not to sound defensive she added, I know it sounds strange, but he really was very nice. Please tell me you didn't invite a madman to this meeting. Elizabeth placed the heels of both blue-veined hands on a countertop and stared out the kitchen window as if mastering a desire to scream. Not everyone who knows about Beltane is crazy, Mary said in her own defense. Well, not absolutely everybody, said Margaret with a wry smile, clipping a pen to the pad of paper before her. She rose from the kitchen table and brushed breadcrumbs from her brown slacks onto the floor. However, people who discuss Beltane at the deli with strangers almost always are. Elizabeth returned to peeling carrots with short impatient strokes. He and his friends are probably going to kill us so they can drink our blood as part of some ancient pagan fertility ritual. Doesn't sound like it would work, Jane said as she turned the page of a cycling magazine and allowed a smile to flicker across her features. But I'll try almost anything these days. In the awkward silence that followed, Mary noted that no one looked at her. Margaret, agile for a woman of sixty-five searched the cabinets for candles. Jane mused through her magazine as though Ellis spiked tires were of the utmost importance. Lillian examined her long red fingernails for signs of cuticle damage. And Elizabeth was now bent over the cutting board chopping celery into fine green slivers. Mary wondered what else she could say to defend herself. He teaches at the university and I looked him up on their website. Cambridge really seems to think very highly of him. How dangerous could he be? I think we should meet people from other traditions, Lillian replied. Tired of her fingernails, the beautiful former fashion model reached for a role and said. Especially the kind of handsome forthright man who picks up pretty girls between the coleslaw and the potato salad. That took Mary by surprise. Had she been picked up? She was deeply in love, and perhaps even engaged to a fellow who lay upstairs doing their accounts. Was her guest expecting more than a weird little evening with some friendly kitchen witches? She certainly hoped not. Let's list other traditions in witchcraft, said Elizabeth. How about bloodletting, burnt offerings, and human sacrifice? Hush Elizabeth, said Margaret. You can't live your whole life frightened by shadows. Having finally found candles under the sink, Margaret handed them to Jane and then collected a box of matches from a drawer. She handed that to Mary. The only complaint I have is that your new friends are late and I have a babysitter who has to be in bed by midnight, said Jane. 
She had set aside the magazine and was now placing candles on the spikes of the candlestick holders. Oh God, you are quite right. We should get started, Mary said. I am sure Stuart and his friends just decided not to come. Even as she said the words, Mary knew she wasn't likely to experience that kind of good fortune in her lifetime. Instead her friendly stranger would turn up in twenty minutes with his entire blood-sucking murderous retinue. Maybe they are waiting outside so they can follow us home, Lillian said with a mischievous smile. Seeing Elizabeth shudder for the upteenth time, Mary shook her head woefully. Please, everyone, Stuart is not a murderer. I promise you. He's a teacher and a scientist. If he and his friends turn up, Elizabeth said, I will help you kill them, but I won't help you dispose of their bodies. The attempt at humor was half-hearted, but it still represented a big step forward for the perpetually shy young woman. Mary found herself unreasonably thankful for her attempt to come up with a joke. Then she heard a car door slam and the sound of male laughter filtered in from her gravel drive. Every woman in the room looked toward her front door. Oh, good, they're here, said Mary. She sounded exactly as happy as she felt. Dutifully she stepped out of the kitchen and into the little foyer that separated it from her tiny sitting room. She took a moment to look at herself in the mirror that hung on the hall closet door. She noted she was five and a half feet tall, had black hair, deep brown eyes, and a curvy figure. She thought she made a rather disappointing witch in her plaid skirt red sweater, and red flats. She couldn't believe she was anyone's idea of a hot date. Her half-hour late guests rapped on the front door and Mary plastered a smile on her face as she pulled it open. You made it, she said. Stuart, the man from the deli, was tall, muscular, and sun-browned. His hair was dark like her own, but his eyes were a pale slate gray. He wore dark slacks, a starched white shirt, and a long gray overcoat. His friends were both dressed in slacks, button-down shirts, and wool sweaters. She was quite pleased to see that all three of her gentlemen callers could have appeared in a men's fashion magazine. There would have been under the heading, What the Well-Dressed Professor is Wearing This Year. I am so sorry we're late. We got very lost, Stuart said with a warm smile. Really? Mary asked. She was mystified. Then it hit her. I just gave you the address, didn't I? Wonderful. She had yet another reason to feel mortified about this ridiculous evening. I keep forgetting online maps can't find us and the roads out here have no signs or street numbers. I'm so used to London where people can get anywhere so easily. It's ridiculous to have to tell people to turn left at the crossroads, right at the crooked tree, then drive to the yellow barn. Well, lucky for both of us, Ahmed has navigated the Amazon, Stuart gestured at the Middle Eastern man to his right. And James here has plied the Congo. He nodded at the blonde to his left. It turns out they like expeditions, and they found a 1940s map that had the street name you gave us on it. This is White Sunway now, not Whitson Muse, despite what it says on the sign at the end of your lane. Mary glanced behind her to find that all of her friends had silently assembled in the kitchen to watch the strangers. Not one had managed to smile. Please do come in, said Mary stepping back into the house and gesturing at the sitting room. As the men filed past she said, we don't actually know what we're doing. We've met on the old holidays for more than a year now just to celebrate and try spells. I think we are more of a social club than anything else. As she spoke she measured the space in her parlor against all her guests. Where on earth would they all sit? They would be packed in like sardines. 
Since no one had yet elected to take a seat, she suspected others shared her concerns. You warned me. But I couldn't resist an invitation to someone else's belt and fire, said Stuart. In the West Country, where I am from, many of the farmers still light bonfires every year. You were the only person in Cambridge I heard of who wanted to do anything at all. Well, said Mary, we are indeed doing something. But I hope you will feel quite free to make suggestions because it's not very much, she gestured at the awkward collection of furniture around the coffee table. Please, everyone, do sit down. We can do introductions while I light the fire. Please let me, said Ahmed. He collected the box of matches then moved past her to sit on the hearth. He opened the box, struck a match, and stuck it into the paper and wood she'd previously prepared. As the flame caught, Mary took a seat on the couch and made room for Stuart when he came to sit beside her. James stepped into the kitchen and a moment later its lights went out. He reappeared with the forgotten candlesticks and waited while the women took their seats, first on the remaining chairs and then on the floor. Ahmed tossed James the matches, then they all watched him place the candles around the room. Ah, said Margaret, your friend is illuminating the compass points. We've never done that before. Then Margaret's pale blue eyes met Mary's, clearly conveying these new friends were just a tad over the top. I actually had it in mind just to keep the fire away from the guests said James easily, it's so upsetting when people get burned. His duty done, James collected a stool from the dark kitchen and sat in the foyer all but lost in shadows. Well, since it's my house, I'll start, Mary said, mentally noting that her home was too small to host a party of nine. In the future, eight would have to be the limit. My name is Mary. Most of the time I make pots. My husband and I moved here from London. He owns a small computer company. I was raised Catholic, but I have always been interested in magic. I'm so glad we've all gathered here to celebrate Beltane together. Turning to Margaret, Mary hoped the old woman would find a way to sound welcoming rather than arch or suspicious. Her friend was not a fan of men for reasons Mary had never fully understood. My name is Margaret Mills. Mary and I met last summer. I'm a writer. I find Wicca, the old religion has something to offer an old woman tired of being berated by men in black cassocks. I'm Jane, Jane said, after a respectful pause. She sat just to Margaret's right. Unable to control a smile, she added, I came to my first meeting after talking to Mary about religion in the market. Apparently, she makes a lot of her friends there. After the first meeting, I felt empowered so I came to the next. I'm a wife and mother raising a seven-year-old son and I am very thankful for a night out. Mary noted that Jane had given up explaining that the boy was her husband's child and was grateful for the change. I'm Lillian, red fingernails ran through brunette hair. I neither work nor have a child. I am convinced my husband brought me to Cambridge to punish me. He works for a bank evaluating business loans. I used to model in London, Paris, and Rome. I come to Mary's house just for the drink and the gossip. A wicked smile flickered across her beautiful features, though it appears there may be better reasons to come in the future. Her bluntness occasioned a startled laugh from the three men and she sat back with a smile of satisfaction. There was silence as the group turned to Stuart. Ah yes, my turn, he said. I'm Stuart Trelevan, archaeologist. I teach classes and watch students shovel dirt into screens, hoping they won't destroy pottery fragments. I met Mary at the deli counter just today and she told me about her party. James had the remains of an American accent. 
I'm a psychiatrist. I've always been interested in psychic phenomena, religion, and ritual. It's wonderful to see a very old celebration made meaningful again. Ahmed shifted forward so he could see everyone. Medical doctor by training but researcher by trade. I'm currently studying modern uses for old medicines like Kurari, Belladonna, and Nightshade. They let me tend the university's poison garden. There was a protracted pause as the group turned toward the pale redhead who sat silent and shrunken on the floor with her back against the wall. Elizabeth. Mary prodded, wondering if the girl had relaxed enough to join in the spirit of the evening. Elizabeth said, I was born in America but my father is British. I go to Cambridge and I'm studying literature. I met Margaret at the library one day and she introduced me to Mary. When no one looked away she added, I am not religious in any way. I come to these meetings because everyone is nice. Introductions done, Seven Heads swiveled to look at Mary again. Let's begin, she said. She reached to turn off the single lit lamp in the room. Please do forgive us if this seems silly. We have no idea what we are doing. It simply seems to suit us. She stood up, noting with a certain satisfaction that her guests followed her lead. When everyone was on their feet she turned to the east, a direction now conveniently identified by a candle. Wardens of the east, west, north, and south, she intoned, hearing a chorus of women echo in whispers. Protectors of earth, air, wind, and fire, carve our circle from this mortal plane. In a soft voice Elizabeth said, in our innocence protect us from harm and help us to avoid harming others. Margaret sounded almost defiant as she said, in your wisdom. Grant us the strength to pursue our paths. Mary turned to Stuart, silently offering him a chance to speak. Firelight flickered in his eyes. He nodded to James. James whispered a short sequence of foreign words as if they were a prayer, and then he put something in the fire. A subtle scent of earth and herbs filled the room. It made Mary think of moonlit nights in wild woods. When no one said anything else, Mary finished casting the circle. In the fires of Beltane long years past, new life was made. Tonight we embrace the chaos and inevitability of change. Seating herself, she waited until they too were all settled, then she went on. This is a time of new beginnings. See what you desire fully born in your mind's eye. Concentrate your will upon it and feel the future as it shall be. She knew all too well what wishes her friends were making. A baby for Jane after six years of marriage still unable to conceive, enduring the endless scrutiny of white-frocked butchers. A book, printed and selling in the campus store for Margaret, recognition at long last. A devoted husband for Lilith, his lechery had become her own. Finally love for Elizabeth, a companion to help her cross the divide between childhood and womanhood. Mary closed her eyes to concentrate on her own vision, money unbounded for David. He'd worked so hard, tried so often to succeed only to fail again and again. Everything in their lives seemed to be on hold because, for him, financial success must come before anything else. A wedding, a child, a real home, everything she wanted would come only after he felt perfectly secure. Opening her eyes, she found Stuart looking at her, his expression unreadable. Make your wishes known, she said, here at the fires of Beltane. Then, to her surprise, Mary heard Stuart speaking. Centuries ago, when the land was unplowed and the forests were young, we gathered in darkness to light the Beltane fires. Arthur was a child of Beltane, and his son Modred born of his sister Morgaze, was a child of its flame. 
To grant a wish, I Lady demands a sacrifice. The more personal the token the better. But take care. In her fertile inferno are the seeds of both joy and sorrow. Mary found herself reviewing her wish for David's success. The more business he did, the more distant he seemed to become. In her heart of hearts she wondered if anything would ever be enough. Maybe, at root, he just didn't want to start a family with her. And why would he? He had taken in a young woman with no parents, no past, nothing but a birth certificate and a Catholic education. Over the last five years they had lived together, shared bed and board, and yet she didn't feel close to him. They went through the motions of intimacy, and maybe that's all they would ever have. Give me your hand, Stuart whispered. Intrigued, Mary complied. The hand that took hers was large, warm, and firm. In the firelight she saw something metal catch the light. A sharp pain made her jump. Suddenly blood was pouring from her index finger. Sorry, Stuart whispered as he folded up his pocket knife. I've tried warning people when I'm about to do that, but surprise is the best anesthetic. You stab people often? Lilith inquired with some interest as she dropped a strand of hair on the coffee table. Not often, Stuart replied with a trace of humor. Usually I'm removing splinters and pottery shards from the hands of my assistants, but there is a certain similarity in process. Without further explanation he pulled a handkerchief from his pocket and pressed it to Mary's hand. After a moment he dropped the blood-stained cloth onto the table, and then pressed his thumb against the still-welling wound. Elizabeth moved forward and put a leather bracelet on the table. Margaret offered the red ribbon that had held her white hair back from her face. Jane, eyes wide and myopic, gave the wooden beads from around her neck. A moment later, James moved forward, gathered the tokens into the handkerchief, and shifted back to the fire. He whispered something as he placed the little bundle in its flames, then he added something new to the fire that made it burn brighter for a moment. Mary heard Stuart whisper some kind of prayer as the bundle was consumed. Once it was gone, he turned back to Mary and released her hand. The bleeding had stopped and the tiny cut he had made was almost invisible. In Cornwall, at least, your wishes would all come true, Stuart said in a conversational tone. I hope Cambridge is close enough, Jane replied quietly. Mary stood, and waited until her guests followed suit. Wardens of the four corners of the world, east and west, north, south, elements of earth, air, fire, and water, close our circle and keep us safe until we meet again. Until we meet again, the little assembly echoed. Hours later, bidding good night to her guests after a potluck meal and drinks, Mary paused at the door to speak to Stuart. So, what did you think? I think your wishes will come true, Stuart said. In fact, I'm sure of it. Really? Mary asked with some surprise. That would be a book for Margaret, a proper husband for Lilith, a mate for Elizabeth and money for your boyfriend I believe. Oh and a baby for that other one. Stuart glanced at the coals of the fire as if seeking confirmation. Jane, said Mary, startled. She wasn't hard to guess, said Stuart. That's frightening, said Elizabeth, fighting the urge to cross herself. Don't be silly, said Stuart. Why shouldn't you have all these things? He turned to leave. What did you wish for? Mary asked, putting a hand out to stop him. You and your friends didn't wish for anything at all. Stuart looked back at her over his shoulder. Of course we did. We asked for all your wishes to come true. Then he was following his friends down the drive to their car.
Cook's gone? David inquired from the bed when she entered their bedroom a few minutes later. His ash-blonde hair was neatly combed and his spectacles made him look almost businesslike as he lay naked amongst his computer printouts. How do you find these people? Yes, indeed, everyone's off, said Mary, wishing he wouldn't talk about her friends the way he did. Raise any spirits? Sacrifice any virgins? No, said Mary, watching as he moved his numbers from one column to another. Not this time. Good, David returned to the red-lined page. We can't afford any new virgins this week. We made wishes, she said. I wished for your business to get better. David looked up, well, I suppose it can't hurt. She could see that he was a little annoyed. Any indication that his enterprises weren't doing well was very unwelcome. Do you have much more work to do? Mary inquired. She was pulling off her clothes and dropping them onto a pile on the floor. Not if you've something better in mind. David as he eyed her. Mary began gathering up the stacks of paper. A few minutes later they lay in a pile on the floor. Despite herself, Mary couldn't help thinking about the three men who had just left, particularly Stuart who had seemed so confident, attractive, friendly, and wise. If he and his friends could believe in magic, perhaps she wasn't entirely insane. As Stuart drove the expensive sedan hard through the winding country lanes, he thought about what he was going to strip away from Mary over the next few weeks. She was going to lose all she had, and when all was said and done, she might not think he had given her something better. She seems very young, said James, and what my mother would have called flighty. She's exactly what we might have expected her to be, replied Stuart. A young woman looking for a purpose she cannot put a name to, and a relationship she has no way to find. Ahmed asked, what if she can't do what we require? That's always been a concern and I think it's even more of one now. She knows nothing at all of the craft. Gentlemen, I am confident I have this matter well in hand, replied Stuart firmly. Should I feel the need to pursue an alternative course of action, you will certainly be the first to know. His friends dutifully accepted his authority and they shared the rest of the drive in a thoughtful silence. Recording and Story Copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music created by D. Kurtzman and licensed from Pond5. Find more great stories at audioiron.com.